I've listened to Dr. Demento Presents, the greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time, my entire life, pretty much. And honestly, that probably makes a lot of sense now, thinking about it. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to the first episode of Spinter Wonderland, part two, 2022. Welcome to Spinter Wonderland. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Connor. I'm hosting this week because it's a special Connor's Pick episode. And with me, as always on a Connor's Pick episode, is James. James, say hi to the people. <laughs> See how's it feel to be, to be forced into your intro. Well, it feels good. I like the direction. You know, it's it's very clear. Hi, people. Welcome, everyone. Again, uh, I guess I should start off by saying... Uh, this is my first official Connor's pick of year two of the podcast, right? No. What else did I pick? I guess you're right. Since the mixtaper did Phantom of the Opera, this, I guess, is your first pick of year two. Wow. Yeah, so this is my first pick because the mixtaper got his pick in Mixtober. Yeah, and I remember after the Michael Buble episode, you described your quest now. You were going for a year of vengeance because none of the albums you suggested broke my top 100. A year of vengeance, yep. If this was an attempt to get even or to uh, avenge <laughs> that, boy, you're you're well on your way. <laughs> year two's theme is a window into the mind of Connor. Okay, that's <laughs> quite a theme. And this is a heck of a place to start it. What I will say, though, uh, peek behind the spin it curtain, you did want to do this album for Last Spinter Wonderland, and I talked you out of it. Uh, yeah, but it didn't make sense for last year. And honestly, it fits way more in as a Connor pick. Yeah, and uh, it's way more topical now. Uh, Dr. Demento is back in the cultural zeitgeist after the Weird Al movie just came out. So we, we lucked out. For some people, he never left. Well, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> He was just played by Rain Wilson in the Weird Al movie. Yeah, but we'll talk about that a little bit in a while. Okay. Just a hunch. So yeah, if it's not clear, I know I said it in the intro, but that was a jumbled mess too. We're doing Dr. Demento Presents, the greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time. James, give us a give us a, give us us a sneak peek. Was it the greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time? Well, I haven't listened to too many Christmas novelty CDs all the time. So that's a yes. Well, all right, <laughs> moving on. No, nope, no, nope, that's all we needed. Moving on. This is an interesting one because Dr. Demento is not really an artist he's kind of more of a dj the correct terminology is disc jockey yeah what do you think dj stands for no i'm just saying if you're gonna say it you know don't just say dj give him the respect of of saying it you know the long version are you saying that everyone who calls djs djs is disrespecting the craft no i'm just saying he, dr demento is elevated <laughs> okay <laughs> all right well tell us more about this disc jockey all right, <clears throat> Dr. Demento, born Barrett Eugene Hansen, April 2nd, 1941, professionally known as Dr. Demento. He's an American radio broadcaster and record collector specializing in novelty songs, comedy, and strange or unusual recordings, dating from the early days of phonograph records to present day CDs. Yeah, I can believe it after, I mean, just one pass at this album. He claims to have started his vast record collection as early as age 20. Well, yeah, I actually watched an interview that he did on David Letterman where he said he had over 1500 records. 
Yeah, it all started when he found a local thrift store that had thousands of the old 78 RPM records for sale at five cents each. And he bought them all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really though. He first became known as Dr. Demento. That that persona, you could say, was created in uh, 1970 when he was working for KPPC FM station out of Pasadena, California. Mm. He played Transfusion by Nervous Norvis on the radio and a different DJ named The Obscene said that he had to be demented to choose to play that and so the name kind of stuck if the obscene calls you obscene well you know you've really overdone it (laughs) (laughs) this led to him kind of leaning into this demento personality right he was he really was a dj or disc jockey right so i was sorry i didn't mean to Mm. i didn't mean i didn't mean to i I didn't mean uh i'm sorry dr demento please don't hurt me (laughs) <laughs> he kind of started leaning in that he really he started in like it was like a rock station right and he would kind of mix in weirder songs in with his rock lineup but those were the songs that really kind of were the most popular and kind of became his thing was the breaking up of the rock songs with the novelty genre and so eventually he just leaned more and more into that until he transformed his show into a novelty show he just ditched rock altogether. Yeah, he's actually credited really with introducing and making famous a lot of the early and middle 20th century novelty artists who without his show may have never really been discovered. People such as Harry McClintock, Spike Jones, mm-hmm. Jimmy Durant, Ray Stevens, who I've mentioned before and may be part of the redemption year. Yeah, I, I know you're a big Ray Stevens fan. And uh, as we already kind of mentioned, Weird Al Yankovic. Mm -hmm. Which is probably, I mean, one of his most well-known findings, right? A lot of people know Weird Al parodies. Yeah, yeah. We've actually talked about one of Weird Al's parodies. You're right, we did. (laughs) I forgot sometimes that we covered that one. (laughs) You're right. Weird Al's kind of one of his biggest influences. um, One of his most well-known. Yeah. And that's because in 1976... Dr. Demento spoke at Yankovic's school and Yankovic gave him a self-recorded tape of him doing different comedy songs and parodies. And Dr. Demento took that to his show and played Belvedere Cruisin' on his show, which is about a family station wagon. That's interesting because stuff like that doesn't usually work. No. You hear about people all the time that like give tapes out to important people and they just go straight to the trash or to the bottom of the pile and never get heard and it's interesting that it actually played out in Weird Al's favor. Yeah, yeah he's demented like that. I guess if your name is Weird Al, <laughs> it's probably a draw for Dr. Demento. Yeah, that's true. He also then went on to fund Weird Al's first EP, Another One Rides the Bus, which led to Weird Al getting his record deal and becoming successful. He also helped get exposure for Elmo and Patsy. Yeah, we've also talked about them. <laughs> we talked about them in last year's Spinter Wonderland. Uh, uh-huh. They're the ones that did Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Bobby Pickett, who's most known for the Monster Mash. Oh, he did the mash? Yeah, he did the mash. It was a graveyard smash. Blast, blast. I don't know. What word does he use there? I don't even know. Big fan. Big fan of your work. (laughs) (laughs) I could keep going on. I mean, Alan Sherman, who does the Hello Mudda, Hello Fada song. If it's a song that makes you go, what is this? Weird. It probably came (laughs) from Dr. Demento. Or at least helped get popularized by him and his show. Yeah. And yeah, and so that's what you can expect on this album if you haven't listened to it yet. I'm so sorry. This album probably means nothing to most anybody who would listen to it nowadays if you're not already a big fan of novelty songs. But again, I've kind of grew up with this album playing around the Christmas times and some of his other work and bits from his shows and things. My dad was a huge fan. 
Dr. Demento. So I've been deep in the Demento lore since I was a child. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, too, one of the things that we'll talk about when we get into the songs is that some of them actually have kind of transcended that novelty status. And you will know Mm -hmm. some songs from this album. Mm -hmm. This is where they came from. The best one. We'll get to it. I'm not going to spoil which one it is. People to this day will hear that song and be like, oh, this is a great new Christmas song. It's like, nope, been around for for decades. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a cool nostalgia episode but also i guess kind of an origin story for a lot of holiday not so classics mm-hmm. yeah so again i talked about he had his own dr demento radio show that started like in the 70s it ran from like the 72 to june 6 2010 was they announced that the show that aired that weekend would be the final broadcast in radio form but then they've transitioned the show to online streaming which is a pay-per-show audio streaming through their website that is still running to this day you could go check it out now yeah it still exists other Honors of his, we talk about honors and awards. He's been inducted into both the Comedy Music Hall of Fame in June of 2005 and the National Radio Hall of Fame in November of 2009. I'm kind of surprised it took that long for both of those. Yeah. And was inducted into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame in 2014. Oregon? Yeah. Does he have anything to do with Oregon? I thought you said he was in California. I have no idea. He was in California and he was born in like Minneapolis, Minnesota is when he was born. Oregon's getting in on that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Some of his other albums, some of his other discography include Dr. Demento Presents, The Greatest Novelty Records of All Time, Volume 1, the 1940s. I figured it out. He went to college in Portland. There you go. There's the answer. So he has volumes one through six of the greatest novelty records of all time. And it's the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Then he did the Christmas one, which was number six. And then, you know, by then we kind of transitioned out of records and we got into the greatest novelty CDs of all time. And then 1989 is when the greatest novelty CD, Christmas novelty CD of all time came out, which is what we're doing here today. Oh, okay. That's kind of the progression there. So a lot of the greatest, that's his thing. His most recent release just happened in 2020 with First Century Dementia, the oldest novelty novelty records of all time there's also something called the demento society which released members only demo compilations titled dr demento's basement tapes yearly from 1991 to 2008 i'll be honest that sounds like a cult (laughs) yeah it kind of does doesn't it (laughs) yeah and in 2013 meep morp studio come on put out a box set of all (laughs) i say it sounds like a cult and the next thing out of your mouth is the meep morp studio I'm just saying. The Meat Morp Studio put out a box set of all 17 of Dr. Demento's basement tapes. The box set was limited to just 50 copies, available only by donating to the Kickstarter campaign for Under the Smogberry Trees, which is the Dr. Demento documentary. Each box was hand-signed and numbered by Dr. Demento himself. What if it was hand-signed and numbered by not Dr. Demento? That'd be wild. (laughs) That'd be funny. Anyway, so uh, the album, not a lot to really talk about. It hasn't like won a bunch of awards or anything. Like, well, it is just a compilation album. And it is a compilation album, correct, of a bunch of novelty Christmas songs. The greatest ones, apparently. Yeah. Featuring the work of the Chipmunks. We got Alvin and the Chipmunks here. Yeah. We got Spike Jones, who I mentioned earlier, Don Charles, Alan Sherman, Elmo and Patsy that we mentioned Grandma Got Run Over by Reindeer. That's on this album. Bob and Doug McKenzie, which was another bigger novelty group. Weird Al is on here. Cheech and Chong. We got a lot of novelty names on this greatest novelty Christmas CD of all time. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But uh, I think that's all I've got. I've learned a lot. Let's get the mixtape out here and see if I'll learn a lot. You might. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. I'm back to play against Connor again for the first time in a while. 
Yes, and you're, and you're using your you're using the James uh, voice this time to keep the audience from getting confused. Yes, it's, that's one of your powers. Yes, I uh, gotta keep it fresh every once in a while. Makes sense. I'm honestly quite worried for this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've mentioned a couple times that you know a lot about Doctor Demento, and that's worrisome because you've probably known less about some of the other artists that you've suggested and. I haven't done so great. Uh, my record right now, my best is two out of six, I think. I think so. Against you. So I'm hoping maybe we'll do a little better. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Well, my first fact about Dr. Demento that you probably already have heard because that's that seems to be how these first facts go. Every time you go, I know this. Okay. Uh, he forgot how to ride a bike. I see. Like he knew how to ride a bike and then forgot it? Correct. Or he just never knew how to ride a bike. Well, he didn't learn when he was younger, but he did learn and then forgot. I see. When did he learn? Well, it was after he graduated with his master's. It was when he was living in Topanga Canyon. And where did he get and where did he get his master's? UCLA. Yes. UCLA is correct. See? You knew it. He knows it. Oh, I'm so dead. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I know I knew where he I'm so done. I just happened to know where he got his master's from. <laughs> when did he try to learn? And how did he try to learn? He was living in a big house on the hill near Topanga Canyon. And he was living with the band Spirit. And they all love to ride their bikes around town. And he didn't know how. So he was like, okay, you know what? It's time. He started trying to learn how to ride a bike. I see. I see. Well, how did he forget? Great question. <laughs> I almost forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. See, it's not as easy as it sounds. He forgot because a bit of a tragedy struck. Okay. He practiced for a little bit on level ground, you know, took his bike out to bike paths and stuff to try and get the hang of it. But sure. one day he decided to bike from the big house on the hill. It was pretty early on in his learning to ride a bike. And as hills and bikes sometimes don't mesh well, he got a little bit of that speed wobble going on, you know, kind of did a wipeout. He hurt his leg and he hurt his head. And okay, so you're just saying it sounds like he never really learned how to ride a bike. Like he was still <laughs> getting good at it and just wiped out. <laughs> that, that may be more accurate, yeah. But he tried to get back on a few weeks later, but he just really couldn't figure it out again. Something about it was thrown off after the incident, and he never picked it back up. I see. I think I'm gonna go with spin on this one. Really? Why is that? Yeah, I just don't think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's boring. Obviously, <laughs> I don't know this. So if it is true, good job. You've broken the curse on the first one being known. But to me, I don't know. I feel like his name is Dr. Demento. Sounds like Dementia. And you were just like, oh, he forgot something. And you went with ride a bike. That's something you're supposed to never be able to forget. Well, right. That's the ironic part of it. Yeah. He says he might be the first person who ever forgot how to ride a bike. Well, that's true. Good for him. It fits his personality. Yeah. Well, what I'll tell you is I did, in fact, break the curse of you not knowing the first fact. Yeah? But, however... I did not break the curse of you getting the first one right, because this is a spin. Hey! <laughs> you didn't know it because it wasn't true. Well, yeah, of course. Not really broken the curse. We'll see when we get to a true one. <laughs> yeah. If I know it. Yeah. You're trying a little reverse psychology there. At the beginning, be like, you'll probably know this one, since you always know the first <laughs> one. I see you tried to be sneaky. I tried. It, it didn't work. Okay. I lied about the bike accident, but he did almost end up in crutches or in a wheelchair. Why? 
that's what you got to kind of deduce. Oh, is that our next one? Yeah, that's the next fact. Mm. Did not realize we were moving on. I thought you were just giving me the post-fact rundown. No, the post-fact rundown <laughs> is I lied. <laughs> next. Okay, well, how did he end up in a wheelchair? That'll be my first question. He didn't, but he almost did. Oh, okay. What caused him to almost end up in a wheelchair? Patton Oswalt broke his foot. Excuse me now? Pat Patton Oswalt, the actor, <laughs> broke his foot in three places. His own foot. He broke his own foot in three places. Bro- Wait, Patton Oswalt broke Patton Oswalt? foot yeah and that caused dr demento to almost end up in a wheelchair almost was this what (laughs) (laughs) so for the first time ever i think we actually watched a movie from the spin it movie list yeah we did (laughs) yeah we just finished watching weird the weird owl biopic documentary where dr demento is a featured character okay and so this happened on set no uh rain wilson played dr demento in the movie i see where this is going as you mentioned you said during the movie and a couple times you said that's the perfect casting for Dr. Demento. I said, yeah, it really was. But Patton Oswalt was originally the guy cast in the role. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Really? Ooh, I guess that's how I got determined. <laughs> I'm saying really, like, you're going to be like, yes, of course. Uh, James does that all the time. <laughs> it's not so easy. Okay, so he broke his foot in three places. How did he break his foot in three places? He stepped off a curb outside of his house. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh, and broke his foot in three places? Yeah, he says, I went down like someone's aunt who saw a bird. <laughs> Like, did he step on something? No, I, or just, like, stepping down off the curb? No, my understanding is he just stepped off the curb wrong, broke his foot. A woman saw him limping back to the house, and she she offered to help him. She's like, don't give up. Just keep going. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh. But, but Patton Oswalt was in Weird as a different character. He was in Weird, yes. <laughs> he has a brief cameo appearance as a biker in the bar. Where Weird Al plays I Love Rocky Road. I was just as surprised by that as you are now. Because I knew this fact when we watched the movie. Which makes me feel like this is a spin. Because I also know Patton Oswalt played Dr. Demento in back in like early, I don't know, the late 2000s. Somewhere around there. Oh. In a different thing. So you maybe found that. And I don't know. I, I, you could be trying to put multiple true things together here. I've seen you do that to James. Hmm. I'm going to go with spin. You're going with spin. Yeah. I think, I don't know why, if he had broke his foot and couldn't film and couldn't be Dr. Demento for the film, I don't know how he would have been in the film at all. So I'm going to go spin. Okay. Well, you are incorrect. This is a true fact. Oh! Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to recast Dr. Demento, so they kicked around the idea of putting him on crutches for the entire movie or just having him seated in every scene. But they decided that wouldn't work, so three days before he was supposed to be on set, Weird Al personally reached out to Rain Wilson. He said we knew he would nail it, and he had a beard at the time, which was helpful. Three days? Yeah, just three days. Wow. So you have broke the curse then? I suppose so. Well, I've had you miss one before. Just not the first one. The curse was that the first true fact I just knew oh, was the curse. you're right. And that was the first true fact, and I didn't know it. Okay, curse is broken. Well, maybe that'll really change things around. All right. The tides are turning, so maybe you knew too much about Dr. Demento. I think I knew too much. Wow. I knew too much, but at the same time, not enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, try this one on for size. I'm curious about this one to see how this goes. Dr. Demento was mugged by a monkey, or so he says. Or so he says. Like like how I met your mother? Yeah, exactly like that. 
this is annoying because now there's always going to be that thought in the back of my head that I can't let him get away with just using a How I Met Your Mother plot line against me and get away with it. That's kind of backwards. It's more like How I Met Your Mother was inspired by this Dr. Demento story. Okay. So what was uh, what was his story? Dr. Demento's story is pretty much point for point with the story Marshall tells in How I Met Your Mother. He is at a zoo. He stands with his back to the monkey enclosure and his wallet got taken from his back pocket. He claims he got it back and... As far as I know, there's been no waffling. You know, in the TV episode, Marshall goes back and forth between I was mugged by a human and I was mugged by a monkey because he doesn't want to be embarrassed. Dr. Demento just asserted he was mugged by a monkey and left it at that. Yeah. Ooh. This is a rough one. Because I know How I Met Your Mother was known for, like, their plot lines being references to other pop culture things, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of shows like that are. And the problem with this man is he's just so weird. <laughs> But that's apps and he's done he's been on the air for so long he's told so many stories that's true and it doesn't really matter if he actually was mugged by a monkey because it wouldn't have stopped him from saying he was that's a great point <laughs> <laughs> which is why i say so he says because i personally don't believe it what i will say is i found one other time that how i met your mother referenced dr demento okay that is in one of the early season episodes barney makes a get psyched mix and the idea of the mix is that it should be all rise, right? All the songs should hype you up another level. That idea is yeah. one that was lifted from Dr. Demento. Otherwise, I couldn't find any references, but I looked long and hard. Hmm. Oh, if I say true and you just spit out of the How I Met Your Mother reference at me and I bit it like a stupid little fish, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be so annoyed. I'll say true. I don't know. Yeah, why not? Okay, Dr. Demento says he was mugged by a monkey. Why not? Why not? Well, sir, today you are a stupid little fish. This is a spin. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! Oh, it's a hundred percent false. Oh. And when we watched the Weird Al movie, uh, another How I Met Your Mother character, Will Forte, who plays Randy in the series, is in the Weird Al movie. Yeah, so I was like, yep. maybe I should try and tie that in. But no, you 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 hook, line, and sinker. You took the bait. Man. I can't believe I let you just get away. Because I, I, I know how big a fan. You and I are both huge fans of How I Met Your Mother. And can't believe I just let you spit that out at me and I took it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, yeah, he's, just, he's been on the show for so long. Like Maybe he just found a random clip of Dr. Demento doing some bit about being mugged by a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much stuff out there. Oh, I found clips of Dr. Demento. I, I really did. Uh-oh. And for our final ramp, if you're ready. I'm ready. Dr. Demento caused the overthrow of a government. Okay, which government? <laughs> good first question. Yes, very good first question. It was the small little town of Talkeetna, Alaska. Of, of Alaska? Talkeetna, Alaska, yes. It's a town of about 1,200 people. Okay, and how did he overthrow it? He didn't do he didn't overthrow it himself uh he caused okay he caused the overthrow of a government and what and what caused it in 1994 dr demento did a little spoof interview with bosco ramos a black lab who was just wrapping up his tenure as the mayor of sunnel california okay bosco the dog defeated two humans in an honorary mayor election in 1981 and he was the town's mayor and kind of their mascot for 13 years. It's a great interview. I was actually surprised how funny it was because he was just talking to a dog. I really didn't expect much out of it, but I was impressed. Okay. And this led to an overthrow of an Alaskan government somehow? Yes. 
<laughs> well, while this is going on, there's turmoil in Talkeetna, Alaska. The story had just broken that the mayor was having an affair with her security guard, taking tax money for little so-called government trips that were actually just getaways for the two of them, sneaky stuff. Uh, people were not happy, and they were looking for solutions. And somebody in this small little town heard this Dr. Demento interview with Bosco the dog mayor and said, Hey, I have this cat Stubbs. I have an idea. He said, let's make Stubbs the mayor. This is this has maybe been your best round of factor spin yet. <laughs> and maybe I did it to myself by picking such a weird dude with such a big history. Well, that's probably true. It's probably partly your own fault. Here's where I'm at. I believe Stubbs the cat being an honorary mayor of Talkeetna, Tal- Alaska or whatever you said. Yeah. I believe that. I just don't know if it had anything to do with Dr. Demento. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, understandable. You would spin fact spin so far. So would you have done 50-50 or would you have done three spins? I'm going to go spin and the logic behind it is I think you've done the thing you do to James all the time where you have information that's cool like about this cat and maybe the interview with the dog is real and you've put them together or you just really wanted to talk about this cat mare and so you've shoehorned it in that's what i'm gonna go with i'm gonna play it safe because i can't fall for two ridiculous ones in a row wow the safety spin the safety spin well i'll take you locking in a safety spin i guess well in that case i will no (laughs) (laughs) okay no, I'm going with spin. Yeah, I'm still going with spin. All right. Well, Bosco, the dog mayor, is real. Yep. The scandal with the mayor is real. Yep. Stubbs, the cat mayor, is real. Yep. And all three things are entirely unrelated to each other and not connected to Dr. Demento in any way. Yes! <laughs> this is a spin. Yes! I could have went... Oh, I could have went three and one if I just stuck to my guns about how I met your mother. <laughs> oh. uh, but you didn't. Because immediately when you told it to me, I was like, like the how I met your mother plot line, and I was instantly skeptical. I knew you would be, and I wasn't sure if that would pay off for me or not. I psyched myself out on that one. Mm-hmm. So instead we 50-50, which is the best you've done. It is. It is so sweet. Wow. Stubbs the cat, when he was the mayor, he got to walk across the street to a local restaurant and drink water from a champagne glass, and it was laced with catnip. He was living the life. So they drugged the mayor? (laughs) No, they fed the mayor. They fed the mayor drugs. They had the mayor drugged up. Catnip. Yeah, that's drugs for cats. Is it? Yeah. It makes them all loopy and silly. I thought it made them all full. Oh, that was a good round of factor spin. You know what I think part of my success this time was? I I deviated from a lot of the things I try and research for you. Yeah, see? Uh, Whether Jamie Foxx was ever Dr. Demento's roommate. Yeah, there was no Jamie (laughs) Foxx. I just thought I'd check. (laughs) But 50-50 is pretty good. I could have went three and one. I'm going to kick myself for that one. And I did learn something new. I I learned one new thing. You did, yes. Stupid little fish. And it wasn't wasn't even about, really about Dr. Demento. It was just about the movie Weird and who was playing his character. So... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But with that, I am off, and I will see you next week. We're getting deep into Spencer Wonderland next week. Indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, have a good episode. No. Or don't, then. What do I care? I'm gone. (laughs) My part's done. (laughs) Yeah! Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) So, before we get into the actual album, before it's time to spin it, as I like to say. Oh, do I get to say the catchphrase this time? Uh... 
Uh, yeah, I'll let you have it. Thanks. I, I'm going to take it. Uh, but before we get into that, it, this is the first episode of Spinter Wonderland, and we're only doing two, so I want to know, what do you want from Santa Claus this year? You know, I really don't know. Maybe he'll bring me... Some Spin It merchandise available at... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe he will. Uh, but maybe he'll also... I don't know. Maybe he'll make us the number one podcast in the world. Oh, that's a big ask. That's what I want for Christmas. That's a big ask. He just makes all the elves listen to it to boost our numbers. <laughs> Is that it? We just get a bunch of random listens from the North Pole, then we'll know what happened. I'm keeping my eye on those analytics, Santa. Just You better watch out. But, you want to just jump right into talking about the album art? There's not much to talk about on it. Yeah, there's there's simultaneously nothing to say and a heck of a lot to say. <laughs> so, it's a green and red Christmassy background with like a music note staff and some music notes. It says, Dr. Demento presents the greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time. And there's a picture of him dressed as Santa just surrounded by things yeah lots of things i see a top hat obviously his signature top hat yep. he's got some records on the walls and behind him yep there's a three stooges thing back there in the upper right yeah something that looks like a, a bust with a nose ring <laughs> yeah in the back left you have a typewriter he's got a japanese transistor radio in his hand that he does and uh, there's a little, like, a dog in a wig, a statue of a dog in a wig. I just wonder how many references there are to the other, so- uh, to the songs in here. Like, I'm sure they're in. Other- I wouldn't be surprised if there were 800, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are none. I think it fits its, to- its time period. Sure, yeah, it does feel 1989. It seems more than the time period to match Dr. Demento's energy, which yeah. I've only just started to get a taste of. <laughs> but with that, let's, let's spin, spin it! it! Beat you. Nope, that was mine. I stole it. Couldn't let you have it. I see. That was not even. You can cut it and you can have it. That was not in the Spinter Wonderland spirit. You're right. But you know what is? Arguably probably the most well-known song on this album. Yeah. The Chipmunk Song, a.k.a. Christmas Don't Be Late. Yeah, my first note is, I can't believe you made me do this. <laughs> uh, not so much pertaining to Christmas Don't Be Late. But just the album in general? But for the rest of the album in general, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, a couple of notes for the audience. This is a novelty Christmas album. It's a lot of weird songs. It's not traditional Christmas music like you're used to. For the most part, there's a couple like this one that have kind of broken that barrier. Yeah. It was definitely part of my year of justice and sweet, sweet revenge. Exactly what you want around the holidays. Exactly. It's a dish best served cold, so. But uh, other things to note about the album again is this is what dr demento considered to be the greatest christmas novelty songs right a lot of these popped up on his radio show a lot some of them were some of his big staples some he helped kind of get into the public eye better and then other ones that he just liked like the christmas song it was already super popular before he got a hold of it that's true so yeah let's talk about the chipmunk song it's a classic Uh, in a lot of these songs there's not going to be a lot of in-depth analysis we can do so i just have a little tidbit about each of these songs it's almost like a singles episode so i got a little bit about all the different people that's good yeah we we do have a lot of songs to cover so oh we'll go fast don't worry we will we will go fast (laughs) and on the ones that i have more to say about the song itself we'll probably have less to say about except except probably for the chipmunk song i'm guessing this is probably the uh obviously the the greatest way to kick off the greatest novelty cd of all time yeah so the chipmunk song christmas don't be late it's a novelty christmas song written by ross bagdasarian under the stage name of david seville in 1958 he recorded the song and varied the tape speeds to produce the high-pitched chipmunk voices and credited them to alvin and the chipmunks which became his kind of virtual band what an idea how many i don't know how 
much you know about this song or if you looked up its Wikipedia page or anything, James. Not much. If you had to guess how many Grammy Awards this song won, how many would you say it won? Too many. I feel like it's probably somewhere in the ballpark of five. Mmm. Overshot it by just a little. Three Grammy Awards for Best Comedy Performance, Best Children's Recording, and Best Engineered Record, non-classical. Okay. Yeah, I thought we'd have some engineering uh, Grammys in there because what a... I mean, nowadays it's not unheard of, but back when he made this, it really was. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I postulate that this is perhaps the greatest novelty music gimmick of all time alvin and the chipmunks yeah for crying out loud they made a movie quadrilogy about them i know yep. you're a big fan oh of yeah alvin and the chipmunks three chipwrecked so i'm not surprised you found a way <laughs> to get them onto the podcast chipwrecked big fan of chipwrecked big fan of chipwrecked here's another fun one for you the song was so successful it reached number one on the billboard hot 100 pop singles chart <laughs> That's the big one. Yeah, it is. And it was it became the Chipmunks first and only uh, song to do that. And David Seville's second and final song to do that. So I guess Dave did other work. Yeah. Who knew? It had the distinction of being the only Christmas record to reach number one on that chart until Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You 61 years later in 2019. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's a big gap of time. Yeah, ni- again, 61 years went by uh, that the Chipmunks were the only Christmas song to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Pop Singles. I, It's easy to understand why. Honestly, this is a lyrical gem yeah. to the point where this is actually a song that people cover. Like, it's actually a good song, good enough to transcend the novelty recording style. Yeah. I was sitting in a coffee shop taking my notes on the rest of this album, and while I was sitting there, a cover of this song literally came on the radio. And I was like, what are the odds? What are the odds that out of these 16 absurd tracks, <laughs> I hear one of them out in public as I'm working on this? Pretty good. This is a very popular song. It also had a revitalization on the chart, peaking at number 35 in 2005. It actually recharted several times over the decades. Uh, the Hot 100, including number 41 in 1958, 45 in 1960, 39 in 1962, and uh, number 35 in 2005. It peaked at number 66 in 2007 when it appeared in its remastered form for the Alan and Chipmunks movie that came out that year. I wonder if it peaking in 2005 was what led them to start making the movie. If they went, oh, there's a market here. <laughs> I honestly would not be surprised. The other really incredible piece of information. I know we're spending a lot of time going into the weeds on this song, but this is because it won so many awards. It's also like the only song we're going to be able to do that on. Yeah. The song itself has sold over 12 million copies. Not bad for some rats. <laughs> <laughs> it is third on the list of all-time best-selling Christmas holiday digital singles can you guess what the other two are that beat it out weird no i can't and it's weird because digital i mean this song didn't sell digitally for a long long time yeah i can't believe it was still that popular in the digital era it's had eight hundred and sixty-seven thousand downloads as of 2011 well that's been an that's been eons ago <laughs> that's the last number i could find was 2011 but the two songs that beat it were mariah carey's all I Want for Christmas is You. Okay, no surprise. And another one we've done on the podcast, Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Christmas Eve slash Sarajevo 1224. Wow. Which we saw live. Yeah, we did. When it comes down to my scores, I just I want to preemptively say the Chipmunk song <laughs> is like the bulk of my score. When you, <laughs> when you hear it and go, wow, that's a really low score. Just know that the Chipmunk song is what saved it. I can I guess there's one other song that helps save it a little bit. There are a couple of bright spots. There's, actually, there's probably three. There's probably three songs you enjoyed on this album.
Goblin. I, it would be my guess. <laughs> There's a handful. We'll get there when we get there. We'll get there. There's no way you haven't heard this song unless you've been living under a rock in a glass house. But this is one I would recommend you go check out. Yep. The hula hoop line is classic. <laughs> yeah. Alvin. Iconic. That takes us into single number two. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Ironic. Another, I think, pretty popular one. It's popular. <laughs> it's annoying, <laughs> but it's popular. <laughs> this version in particular is annoying. I think I know other versions that are a little less abrasive. Yeah. But this one by Spike Jones and his City Slickers kind of got under my skin a little bit. <laughs> He doesn't even whistle well. Like, he, he's trying to whistle, but it keeps, like, just, like, shh, shh, shh. Mm-hmm. Like, really go commit to the bit. And it was so slow and so whiny. It was. Anyway, tell me the facts. Yeah, the song uh, was originally written in 1944 by David Gardner, who was teaching music at public schools in Smithtown, New York, when he asked his second grade class what they wanted for Christmas and noticed that almost all the students had at least one front tooth missing and therefore was answering with a lisp. (laughs) What? So he sat down and wrote the song in 30 minutes. That's so interesting. Yeah. Why were they all missing front teeth? That feels like a conspiracy. (laughs) I don't know. So it was written in 1944, but wasn't officially published until 1948 after an employee of Whitmark Music Company heard Gardner sing it at a music teacher's conference. And so, like you said, eventually the song was recorded uh, by Spike Jones and his City Slickers in 1947. The record reached the top of the pop charts in 1948 and again in 1949. It was a different time. (laughs) Yep. So this is another rediscovery by Dr. Demento. Uh, yeah. Th- these are songs that just he probably grew up with and really, really loved, right? And therefore used them on his show. Naturally, yeah. Yeah, he's a curator. This one has a lot of covers and some wild ones at that. So it's been performed by Ray Stevens, who I've brought up on the podcast before. George Strait. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Nat King Cole. I think that's the one that I mostly think of. The Chipmunks have also done a version of this. Of course. The Three Stooges and Count Von Count of Sesame Street. (laughs) Doesn't he not have front teeth anyway? Like, he's got big gaps in between the fangs. Yeah, that's probably why he did it. (laughs) He probably did it so he could count to two a lot of times. Mm. Drag performer and singer RuPaul has also parodied this song on their album Ho Ho Ho. Oh, yeah. That's the one who wasn't in the Montero music video. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that factor spin loss. Yeah, you're welcome. That's all I really got about that one. It's just been covered a ton and it topped the chart two years in a row. Weird. I just, you know, there's a point in the song where he said nobody could understand him and that really annoyed me because you can understand him just fine (laughs) but what was him i guess and i'll tell you what i want to knock the rest of his teeth out after (laughs) i finish listening to this song you're gonna want 30 more of them after i'm done yep this is one of the songs that my dad really liked to sing around the holidays Mm -hmm. what i will say though ending with the happy new year is clever and actually kind of funny yeah so that was a good decision that's only in the version by spike the chipmunks and ray stevens all the other versions don't do that oh interesting but we asked for our two front teeth and all i want for christmas is some singing dogs this is where i knew that the <laughs> last 13 tracks on the album i was really just along for the ride <laughs> so up next is jingle bells by the singing dogs who is a musical recording group of five dogs named king caesar dolly and pearl 
interesting. <laughs> Those are the names of the dogs. Uh-huh. Here's a picture of them. Also cute. The singing dogs, I said they were a musical recording project group under whose name two 45 RPM singles were released in the 1950s. The idea for it came from Danish recording engineer Carl Wiseman, who recorded the sounds of various species of birds, but barking dogs often spoiled the recordings. So he found a new use for these spoiled takes by splicing together the pitches of dog barks into the pattern of songs. Yeah, it was really something. So this was back in, what did I say, ni- the 1950s? In 1971, the RCA reissued Jingle Bells as an actual single, and it became a Christmas hit and hit number one on the Billboard Christmas Singles chart in 1972. The, the dog version? <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Since then, the track has received frequent media exposure during the Christmas and holiday season. Like this. That we're doing it now! Uh-huh. This is frequent media exposure. Yep. <laughs> oh, gross. I just want to point out, like, we're three songs, three songs into this album, and two of them are sung by animals. Two of them are sung by animals. I can't. I just, I'm, this song was such a product of its time because yep. somebody just had the technology to do it. Yep. Nowadays, I feel like almost anyone could make this exact song in like five minutes. They eventually released a full uh, novelty record that included the dogs doing Pat a Cake, Three Blind Mice, the, you know, there's Jingle Bells one, Oh Susanna, uh, and that disc went on to sell over a million copies. Well, I want the dog band to do like three dog night songs. <laughs> Give me joy to the world, like Jeremy. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, but Jeremiah was a bulldog. Oh, come on. <gasps> oh, come on. That's good. We got to do that now. Yeah. My question about this song, too, is why didn't they just go all in and have the dogs sing the verses? Because that was really annoying. Like, they just only sang the choruses. I was waiting for more barks. I don't know. Good point. My favorite memory of this song and why it's near and dear to me is we grew up with, like, we always had, like, two, three dogs in the house growing up. And there was one time this song came on and started going and all the other dogs started barking along with it. And it was the funniest thing as a child (laughs) well that's great so that's why this one gets a little spot in my happy memory jar Mm -hmm. not a very full jar well the first time i listened to this song i was sitting in a coffee shop next to college students studying for their finals and i went "Mm." (laughs) should have just unplugged uh your headphones and let it start playing out your speakers (laughs) again that's all i got about that one really it's singing dogs doing jingle it's singing dogs it's singing dogs that's it pretty easy to move on up next the 12 gifts of christmas instead of the 12 days yeah this one sounded nice sonically so far this has maybe been the most pleasant one to listen to with the instrumentals even with alvin and the chipmunks that sounds a little older you know uh, that's mean? Fair. it's a different style of song that's fair this one sounds like a proper christmas song on the instrumental level i'm glad you like this one at least musically well, we'll get into the lyrics in a moment this is one we can actually talk about lyrics on this is one that was actually a little humorous i got a chuckle or two out of this one good good uh but first before we dive into some of these funny lyrics the song is a parody of the 12 days of christmas and performed by alan sherman it reached number five on the billboard christmas chart in 1963 and critics said it would have gone higher if it had been released earlier in the year unfortunate yeah can't put it out in april but (laughs) i just think it came out closer to christmas time so i didn't have a lot of time to get more play before the season was over so their gifts in order the first one, and probably the funniest one, the one they spend the most time making fun of. Absolutely. Is a Japanese transistor radio. That's their first day gift. And every time they get to it, until about halfway through, when it's really funny. What I really like about this is the pacing of the song. How it, they, yes. you can just tell they get bored with it. And they don't bother taking you through it every single time. I was so happy when they started saying, and all that other stuff. I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> 
that's so funny. But they start describing the antenna and like where the speakers are on it. Like it's really funny stuff. Very specific. But other things are green polka dot pajamas, a counter book with the name of his insurance man, which is hilarious. Again, these are all just like junk gifts. That's like, oh, the person who's got it for you didn't know what else to get you and didn't think to get you anything in time. <laughs> right. A simulated alligator wallet, whatever that means. It just means it's not real alligator. It's just fake. I just, I've never heard the word simulated used. Usually it's just fake. Well, <laughs> this one was simulated. And of course, you know, the five golden rings fifth day is instead a statue of a lady with a clock where her stomach ought to be. Yeah. Six day hammered aluminum nutcracker, which is funny. A pink satin pillow that says San Diego with fringe all around it. An indoor plastic birdbath, which is a hilarious concept. A pair of teak wood shower clogs. A chromium combination manicure, scissors, and cigarette lighter. An automatic vegetable slicer that works when you see it on television, but not when you get it home, which is a sentiment every, I think, child could relate to. Hold on. Hold on. No. I don't think every child ever could have related to an automatic vegetable slicer that works on TV. No, no, no. Just the concept Just the concept of something that works on TV, but not when you get it home. Think about how many targeted toy ads that you would see like growing up on yeah. you know, the Disney Channel, stuff like that, that just looked awesome. You finally get your parents to buy it for you, and it just sucked. <laughs> sure. Gen- generally, that makes sense. But let's not get as specific as the vegetable slicer. Fair enough. And then on the 12th day, the pro- again, another really funny part of the song, he goes, although it may seem strange, he's going to exchange, and then he goes through the other 11 things, which is funny. Yeah, Um. that made me a little mad, too. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. First of all, like, he, he loved the radio. He talked about it so much. It's discontinued. It's rare. It's hard to get. He's a fool. To be fair, he didn't say he loved it. He just described it a lot. He didn't say well, he liked it. Yeah, but would you really? I don't know. I just seemed like he was fond of it. Exchanging it is maybe a bad decision. It's an investment piece. Yeah. Which of these things do you think is the worst? I think the calendar book with the name of his insurance man, pretty sucky. Well, that's <laughs> like useful though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm not a calendar book kind of person. Well, it's in the days back before phones, you know, maybe he kept that yeah. at the office or somewhere. He didn't really want to invest in a good calendar, but it would still be helpful to know the days. For me, I think it's the San Diego pillow with the fringe or the indoor <laughs> bird bath. I love So the indoor bird bath is sucky, but it's funny. It's a good gag gift. So yeah. that, one, that one gets a pass. But yeah, that's that song. Just a funny little parody of the 12 gifts of uh, 12 days of Christmas. You know what else is a pretty big gag gift? A hippopotamus. A hippopotamus for Christmas. Probably the second most popular song off this album. <laughs> yeah, another one that's kind of transcended the album and occasionally shows up in the wild. And this is another. I was sitting in the same coffee shop mere hours later, and this song came on too, <laughs> and I was losing it. I, I could not believe that twice this happened to me. Remember when I said the odds of it happening once were so astronomically low? Twice it happened. That's funny. That was wild. This is uh, another animal-related song as well. Not sung by animals, but animal-related. Well, animal-related is a little different. Yeah. Uh, and this is another one weird song that like will disappear from public min- memory for like a few years and then resurge in popularity and people think it's a new song. And it, I never understand it. It's like this song like it's blotted out of everybody's memory every like decade. It comes in waves. <laughs> but the original song was written by John Roxon 
performed by Gayla Peavy, who was 10 years old at the time, in 1953. The song peaked at number 24 on Billboard magazine's pop chart in the same year. So another one that made it pretty high on the actual pop chart. We must have had some dark years for pop music in the 50s and 60s. This is a great song. What are you talking about? No, it is. It is. I didn't take too many notes on it because this is one of those songs everybody kind of knows. But, man, you literally do not want a hippo. You don't. I, I think she did. No. No, 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 no. And the kid can't plural also. No. Hippopotamuses <laughs> is atrocious. Which is hilarious. It's so iconic. Hippopotamuses. But atrocious. <laughs> yeah. The song was first performed by PV on the Ed Sullivan Show. That's where it really got popular in 1953. Oh. Which is another show I think we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, we have. It's come up. And there's a popular legend about this song that it was originally written and recorded to be a fundraiser to bring a hippo to a city zoo. For the Oklahoma City Zoo. I do believe that. That is honestly the most logical explanation for this song. No, but PV has gone on to clarify that that was not what the song was written for. However, after being picked up and kind of got popular and mainstream, they did launch a Gala PV Hippo Fund so that PV could be presented with an actual hippopotamus on Christmas, which did happen. What? <laughs> The campaign succeeded, and she was presented with an actual hippopotamus, which was then donated to the Oklahoma City Zoo. That is wild. So the popular legend ended up coming true, even though that's not what it was intended for. Amazing. It's pretty wild that a person who was 10 years old and sung a song about wanting a hippopotamus actually got a hippopotamus, right? Yeah. How rare do you think it is that she'd be presented with a second hippopotamus? She got hippopotamuses? (laughs) She got hippopotamuses. The hippopotamus, the original one, lived for 50 years at the Oklahoma City Zoo. Pretty great. But in 2017, just five years ago, PV, then 73 years old, was again presented with a hippopotamus that was then given to the Oklahoma City Zoo. So what you're telling me is that she sang this song and then got a lifetime supply of hippopotami. <laughs> yeah. Hi- no, not hippopotami. Hippopotamuses. It's potato potato. Uh, and this one was a rare pygmy hippopotamus from the San Diego Zoo that was given to the Oklahoma City Zoo. The Beast Boys can go look at it now. <laughs> This was probably one of Dr. Demento's biggest Christmas staples. He loved this song and really helped popularize it. Uh Uh-huh. I can imagine. Also, another sort of spin cycle, just a reference back to another artist, Casey Musgraves recorded and released a version in 2016. Wow. On her Christmas album entitled A Very Casey Christmas. Mm, Keep an eye out for that one in a potential future capacity. Oh, that'd be a great idea. And again, I know we said we were going to go fast through these songs, and we will on the second half. We're almost through the ones that I have things to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's a front-loaded album, if you can believe it. Yes, it is. Up next, uh, one of my personal favorites, Nothing for Christmas. Yeah, for all you kids out there that don't get hippos. This is the Mixtapers Christmas anthem. Really? (laughs) Well, last year he got the iPod Shuffle. Yeah, but he kind of scammed his way into that one. That's true. So the version on Dr. Demento's greatest Christmas albums of all time is the Stan Freyberg version. But the original song was written by Sid Temper and Roy C. Bennett, and it became a hit in the 1955 holiday season when it appeared in Billboard's pop charts by five separate artists at once yeah in the same year 1955 five separate artists released versions of this song they just couldn't get enough of it yeah 
The highest charting of those five was released by Art Mooney and his orchestra with six-year-old Barry Gordon as the lead vocalist, which peaked at number six, again, on the Billboard's pop charts. Wow. I also did kind of know this song, mm-hmm. but I have not heard it in eons. I mean, good. 200 years have passed since the last time I heard this song. Great song. It is an interesting one. Yeah. He just sings about all the bad deeds he's done, ranging from benign things like tearing his pants while climbing a tree or spilling ink on the rug to being more mischievous, like making his friend eat a bug or hiding a frog in his sister's bed, all the way up to felonies like assaulting people with a baseball bat and using counterfeit penny slugs to buy gum. Yeah, it really runs the gamut. I think this is another song that's like actually quality funny, you know? Like this one stands the test of time in that regard too. It's a little out there. It is a little out there. It's still enjoyable. The real kicker to me is that I just don't remember, maybe I've never heard this version, uh, but the end of it, Uh where his house gets robbed, that was a a bit of an annoying twist. Yeah, it's pretty funny, right? Pretty funny twist. Yeah. You didn't like it? No, it was not my favorite. Oh, I think it's hilarious when he's like, oh, I thought he wasn't here. Like, you're like, oh, he's still going to get presents or something. And then he's just a robber. The bait and switch <laughs> is clever, but ugh. That is only in Stan Freyberg's version. That's why you've maybe not heard it. Yeah, I believe it. Other artists have done this, include Spike Jones, who we just talked about earlier. And the most notable on this list is Sugarland. Oh. Oh, and Smash Mouth. Both of those have done a version of this song. Smash. Smash Mouth? Smash Mouth featuring Rosie O'Donnell. What a combo. Yeah. You know, I think I did hear that. Somebody once told me. <laughs> I see what you did there. Thank you. We're getting close to our dry spell. So up next is Tom Lair's A Christmas Carol. And this one's... This one's not very good. I can admit. Okay. I was worried <laughs> I would offend. Yeah, this one, it started out as a nice little piano tune. Kind of a roundabout sweet song. And then it turned into this really disjointed mm-hmm. mashup of other Christmas songs. Like, nothing really tied the pieces together. They were just kind of put in the same place at the same time. Yeah, he kind of just takes a bunch of different popular Christmas songs and does little parody mashups of them, kind of dissing the way people treat Christmas nowadays. Which, I mean, valid. Some of the criticisms are pretty funny and (laughs) spot on, but, boy, it's a little forced. Yeah, it's a little forced. And and kind of (laughs) heavy-handed. For a lighthearted, funny Christmas album, this one's like, okay. It's almost like when like the comedy movie uh, starts lecturing you um instead of being funny anymore they're like we're gonna take a moment and lecture you on something happening in the real world it's like no you're a comedy movie stop (laughs) this is too serious for me (laughs) this isn't what i was here for (laughs) no kidding yeah a christmas carol was all right yeah it was all right and uh, honestly i'm ready to move on already to the probably third most popular song maybe second it it might be more popular than hippopotamus and it's one we've already done on this podcast (laughs) yeah don't make me talk about this one again grandma got run over by a reindeer (laughs) yeah we already covered grandma and her reindeer in pretty extensive detail on our last spencer wonderland singles episode we talked about the movie a lot last time this one's more about the song oh you gave a shot for shot synopsis of the movie Yep, we're not going to talk about the movie at all. You have no idea uh, how much I edited out of that. (laughs) I mean, a lot. Michael Jackson Zoo Fact levels of cutting stuff. The song was originally performed by husband and wife duo Elmo and Patsy in 1979. So it was. Oh, so this is already a novelty Christmas song, but it's been, you know, covered, remixed, parodied. It's funny to think about people parodying already a novelty song, but it's been done. Yeah. Ray Stevens has done a version of this called grandma when the san francisco 49ers 
earned a trip to to the Super Bowl. Dr. Elmo released a parody called Chargers Got Run Over by the Niners, predicting that the 49ers would win over the San Diego Chargers. Very situationally specific. So that's all. Uh, yeah, like I said, we talked about this one already. It's a pretty classic Christmas song. Yeah. If you want a synopsis, go to Last Pinter Wonderland. The only other thought that I had this time is, why on earth would they send her gifts back? And even if they wanted to do that, they'd still have to open them. I have the same thought. But it's like a thing that she got for you. This could be like your last little memento and you go, I don't know. Should we just trash these? I couldn't tell if they meant her gifts that she got everybody or like the gifts they got her. Like, do we keep her gifts or do we just send them back? (laughs) Okay. That's the only way that makes sense. Yeah. That's a whole different sentiment. Yeah. Trust me. I've listened to this song a lot. I do. uh, I do believe that. Gotta be a pretty diehard grandma got run over by a reindeer fan to pick up on that subtext. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard a rumor, James, that this next one is your favorite song on the album. Listen, we were really (laughs) pushing it on the CD. I could not believe that we were only at the halfway point. It had been eternal. Wonderful. I'm so glad. Exactly what I wanted. And then we got to I Just Go Nuts at Christmas. Yep. I Just Go Nuts at Christmas is a 1949 Christmas novelty song and monologue written and performed by Harry Stewart as his fictional Swede Yogi Jorgensen. That was like one of his characters he would do in skits and on radio shows and stuff and it was backed by the johnny duffy trio and so again this song probably makes way less sense out of context of the fact that this is like just a christmas song done by an already popular like radio show character yeah i just you and i come from such drastically different musical backgrounds that's what this song really made me realize yeah we really do (laughs) the other thing i started to notice right around this point in the album and it's bugged me ever since this This batch of songs, this collection, this Greatest Christmas Novels He CD features so, so, so many repeated motifs and pieces of songs. Well, they're all parodies, so yeah. Like, how many times do these songs riff on The Night Before Christmas? Or how many times do they play a little part of Jingle Bells? Mm -hmm. How many times do we do a take on The 12 Days of Christmas? Like, it's every single time. Yeah, well, they are parody songs, and they are spread out over the course of decades. This is like a compilation album. I understand, (laughs) but if I may be so bold, I think the greatest novelty Christmas CD of all time perhaps would include fewer repeated motifs and instead go for a wider array of flavor. Well, that's just you being a snob again. Yusko Nuts just felt like a guy doing a goofy accent. I really couldn't get into it past that bass gimmick. Yeah, it really is. That's really what That's really what it is. You're right. <laughs> we'll move on from that one, though. And again, we're really getting into a spot where I have way less information about them. We're into not the 12 gifts of Christmas. That was a parody on the 12 days of Christmas. Now we're into the 12 days of christmas which is also a parody of the 12 days of christmas yeah see, it's another riff it's another riff on the 12 days yeah, it's just because there's two really good parodies of 12 days of christmas and but you know. i wouldn't think that you'd include them both on one greatest novelty cd well if they're both greater than all the other novelty songs then that's what you got to do no it's not you, yeah you can't exclude a better song just because there's something similar to it already on there if you're putting together the greatest if six covers of the chipmunk song were you know out there and number one would would you include all six of them on one album? No. If they were number one, if they were better than everything else. Yeah. If you were truly trying to put together the greatest, you would. And you'd be like, come on, Christmas songwriters, step up your game. Why can't you beat some chipmunks? 12 Days of Christmas was, it had its good moments. Bob and Doug McKenzie are a well-known duo. And this is their 
most popular skit uh, song is the 12 Days of Christmas. Yeah, I did not really expect a skit. I uh, I kind of thought it was just going to be another song. But also, I'm curious, of, like, the debate they have in the beginning about what is the 12 Days of Christmas. I always just assumed it was the 12 days leading up to Christmas. Yeah. They kind of seem to indicate that's not the case. Yeah, well, it's, I don't know. That's what they were trying to figure out. They're like the 25th and the 24th. And he's like, that's two. And he's like, Boxing Day. And then he goes, Wrestling Day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty funny joke. Yeah, it was funny. The skit part was actually, I, I got a chuckle out of that. And I also really got a chuckle of their main gimmick in the song, where he just sings beer as yep. the one thing. I thought this was one of the better novelty songs. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave them me a beer. <laughs> and then they try and make it longer, and so it has to be a beer in a tree. Like, that was good. That's funny. I liked the way that they broke out of the song a couple different times, and the music kept on going. Like, they could actually be struggling to record a cover. It didn't feel as contrived. They were, like, trying to go back and forth, and they couldn't remember whose turn it was. (laughs) Yes. I think that's what I liked about it. And then they get to eight, and they just give up. They're like, eight? Ah, that's good enough. (laughs) I like that it didn't feel forced. Some of these other parody songs definitely felt forced, but this one was a little more natural. And again, uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie are a pair of fictional Canadian brothers who host Hosted Great White North, which was a sketch uh, introduced on SCTV and eventually moved to CBC television in 1980. And Bob is played by Rick Moranis and Doug is played by Dave Thomas. Not the Wendy's guy. No, not the Wendy's guy. Uh- <laughs> Imagine Rick Moranis and the Wendy's guy just singing about beer and trees. That That's hilarious. <laughs> but, James, you do realize... You know who Bob and Doug McKenzie are. Like, you've heard this duo before. This might be a shock to you. I wouldn't be 100% surprised. Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas do a parody of their own Bob and Doug McKenzie characters in Brother Bear as the two moose. That's right. That's supposed to be them riffing off of their Bob and Doug McKenzie characters. Wow. I can see it. It's all coming together. So there you are. And I, I also just have to point out, just for the sake of it needs to be said, this does not rank up there with Stairway to Heaven. I understand that that's the joke. I... <laughs> I get that that's exactly what they want you to react with, but I just need it to be said. I don't know. I, I think it gives it a run for its money. All right. Well, keep an eye out for the Led Zeppelin episode. <laughs> Now we're moving on to a uh, another one I don't have a lot to say about. Yeah. Green Christmas, where Christmas is spelled with dollar signs for the S's. Yeah. See, uh, another Christmas Carol type bit. This one was actually a little clever at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I kind of was surprised. I was like, why aren't more songs told from this perspective of Scrooge? Like, that's a thing we just don't get a lot. Yeah. I do like that clever concept. And how you got Bob Cratchit as the butler. Pretty good. Bob spoiling the fun. I was a little disappointed. I remember when I said the first half of the album felt eternal. The yeah. second half, I, I started looking at some of these track run times, and they're like six and a half minutes, six fifty seven. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, oh, and then Green Christmas is one of those seven minutes long, and I, mm, I checked out early, and I just have to say it too, another. Deck the Halls bit, another 12 Days of Christmas bit. It's like every song. There's only so many Christmas songs you can parody, especially in 1958. That's fair, but also, you don't all have to mash every Christmas song together. Yeah. Why can't well, we just like make one and done? These are all like eight eight for ones. It's not like every artist ever is out here mashing together 50 million Christmas songs. This is just a concentrated dose of it. And again, I know you don't like compilation Greatest Hits albums for this exact reason. Well, it's not even this reason. This is other 
there are a lot of other different reasons that this one is not. Well, I'm just saying in general, compilation albums. There's other reasons not to like compilation albums. There are a lot of other reasons to like concept albums, too. Stop being a Scrooge and bah humbugging this greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time. Hey, I'm not a Scrooge. I'm a Christmas tree. I'm a Christmas tree. Okay, so for those of you who haven't heard the song, that's what the song sounds like. That's pretty much the whole song. <laughs> It's so awful. I'm a Christmas Tree is the 12th, the dozenth track on this album. Yep. Uh, featuring Dr. Demento himself. Yeah, it does. And Wildman Fisher is the other one. It's Wildman Fisher featuring Dr. Demento, released in 1981. And that's all I really have about it. <laughs> He sings about being a Christmas tree and how people throw him out after on New Year's Eve and how Santa Claus breaks a bunch of laws. That is that was the best point was that it made me think about the legality of Santa. That was its yeah. redeeming quality. But I gotta say, it's gonna get a real bad instrument and music score. On, <laughs> I'm a Christmas tree. I really wasn't even sure you'd score this one. <laughs> to be honest with I you, I gotta score it. it. It won't end up maybe on the official list, but you'll get some numbers. Fair enough. Um, the next one we're gonna talk about is Santa Claus and His Old Lady by Cheech and Chong. Six and a half minutes was way too long for me on this one. I've never had any real meaningful encounters with Cheech and Chong. Yeah, you know, just run into him on the street and had him give you ten dollars when you really needed it to get a bus ticket, you know, out of town. No. Oh. No, that hasn't happened. I just, in general, though, never really... I'm not familiar with their work. This song was... I won't even call it a song. This track <laughs> was kind of tough to get through. <laughs> I was not following the thread of the story. They could not keep my attention. I was just... I was just here. Well, you'll be happy to know that this song peaked at number four on the Billboard Christmas Singles chart in its release in 1971, and then peaked again at number three on the chart in 1972 and 1973. Wow. Um, This was also Cheech and Chong's very first single as a duo. This right here, what we're listening to. Well, now, did they do a lot of music? I thought they mostly just, like, did other stuff. Um, they did, so they did a lot of films and TV stuff. Yeah. They did have a few things like this that they released over the years. And now we've heard the first. Santa Claus and His Old Lady did not appear, however, on the duo's eponymous debut album, but on the B-side called Dave, it did. Huh. Well, it was here. Yeah. If you're a Cheech and Chong fan, maybe you really jive with that one. If you're a Cheech and Chong fan, you'll probably enjoy it. Yeah. But if you're not, if you're, if you've never had a meaningful encounter with Cheech and Chong. It's not going to do anything no. for you. However, I do have another reference to another band we've done. Cheech and Chong were selected by the Red Hot Chili Peppers to present them with the Global Icon Award in the 2022 MTV Video Music Awards on August 28th of 2022. Wow. That's so just back in August. Bizarre and recent. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, oh man, write that down. I think our Red Hot Chili Peppers episode came out before that. I think that it That was did. a fact we couldn't have even said. Who, who could have guessed? Crazy stuff. But on to our next one, an actual song again. And this is the other one I predicted James would actually like musically. I did. This one was a little bit of a uh, an album highlight as well. Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. Now, obviously, I've heard of Weird Al. We talked in Factor Spin about watching yep. the Weird Al movie yep. and stuff. Yep. I've, I've even heard of this song. But you know what? I don't know that before listening to this album, I'd ever really heard it. But you liked it? I did. It was entertaining. It's, it's so magical with the Christmas bells and stuff. I uh, I said, listen here, Alanis Morissette needs to take notes because this song feels ironic. 
this is how you do an ironic song. Mm-hmm. Everybody celebrating in the impending apocalypse. I was like, okay, well, it's pretty great production value with all the sounds and the instruments. It was well made, even if the premise was a little bit ridiculous in like a, a fun, ridiculous way. Exactly. The track is the 10th and final track on his 1986 album, Polka Party, and was released just in time for Christmas. If he'd released it earlier, it probably would have done better. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the song, while an original, is a style parody of Phil Spector-produced Christmas songs. It sounds like um, it. So it's done in the style of Phil Spector, even though it's an original song. And like you said, it's about people trying to go through the stereotypical Christmas activities while also trying to survive a nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. This song was received extremely well. Some critics even said, while Grandma got run over by a reindeer got old decades ago, this is one musical dose of sick holiday humor that hasn't lost its novelty. I feel the opposite. Really? Yeah. I would be way more apt to go back to Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer than Christmas at Ground Zero. And maybe that's just because I'm more familiar with Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer more. But also, I don't know. The humor does seem a little maybe more subtle. Yeah. Yankovic actually himself said it's one of his favorites and a fan favorite, but unfortunately can't really play the song live anymore due to too many people misunderstanding the connotations of of Ground Zero, thinking it's a reference to 9-11. Uh, yeah, you know, they don't realize the song came out decades before that. In 1987, it was meant to be about nuclear attack. It is understandably the first thing the song calls to mind. And yeah. in light of that, it is probably wise to not play it live, at least for a good while even yet. Yeah, it's unfortunate. This song, I think it's a very catchy tune. It's one I find myself singing. I like it. Yeah. But finally, <laughs> the long-awaited final track, we're finally here. <laughs> It's, you made it's bad it. when the last track is the long-awaited one, simply by virtue of being the last track. Stan Freiberg completes the trifecta with his song Christmas Dragnet. Yeah. Um. Why are all these songs six minutes long? Because a lot of them are based off of skits. <laughs> I know. That's true. <laughs> But honestly, I've always kind of considered Green Onions and Scallions the same thing. Is there functionally any difference? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you that. <laughs> I was gearing up to that, going to ask you what you called them. Shallots, usually. <laughs> but just for those who aren't familiar with Stan Freiberg or uh, the Dragnet skit. So Stan Freiberg, he's the one that did Nothing for Christmas and Green Christmas. Yeah, he got three on this record. His best known work is the Dragnet skits. It, so the original one was St. George and the Dragnet. That's funny. That's kind of clever. Yeah, just like a cop radio show. And so they kind of told the story as if they were like 1950s detectives. Yeah, the detective drama was pretty fun. They they did several different versions of skits, you know, telling things in the form of the Dragnet uh, parody, including this Christmas Dragnet, sometimes called Yulnet, uh, which concerns the character named Grudge, who doesn't believe in anything, <laughs> which is pretty funny. That was good. I think my favorite one is when, you know, they're going through, like, you don't believe in Santa Claus? What about the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairies? Like, no, he's like, what about Columbus? And again, you're thinking, like, Christopher Columbus. And they're like, what about Cleveland or Toledo? or Cincinnati. Yes. Both the uh, the Green Onions bit and the Toledo bit keep coming back multiple times. Other fun facts about Sam Freiberg, I kind of saved it for here. Do you know him from any of his Looney Tunes work? It's quite possible. What Looney Tunes work did he do? He was the voice of Pete Puma. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Yeah, he's the how many lumps do you want skit, which is one of, again, my father's favorite Looney Tunes skits. The amount of times I heard that quoted as a child, it's ingrained in my head. Oh, three or four. <laughs> that's... <laughs> sounds sounds yeah. like it. Yep. That, that That's uh, him. <laughs> Stan Freiberg. 
And yeah, there you are. We made it. 16 tracks later. <laughs> I I said my note here was, don't make me score this. I don't even know where to begin. And <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you before <laughs> final spin. What's your bone? I don't know how many times over these last 75 episodes you've said to me, I don't really like talking in songs. It really pulls me out of it. This one doesn't get it done. They talk too much. They need to just sing the whole time. How does the guy who can't do talking in songs like this album so much? <laughs> this is like a third talking, at least. They're, but the ones that are talking are more just skits. They're not even really songs. It's not like Christmas at Ground Zero all of a sudden cuts out into a into a talking section, right? There's just there are skits on here as well as songs, and so I'm able to compartmentalize. Yeah. Okay. I just had to point it out. I just had to point it out for everybody that was like trying. Maybe that was in the back of your mind when you listened to this album. You went, "Why does Connor like this?" I agree. I thought the same thing. I grew up with it. <laughs> All right. Well, hit me with your score. Yeah. Let's talk turkey music. Fifty-four. Okay. Higher than I expected. I'll take it. <laughs> Christmas at Ground Zero, Hippopotamus, and and Chipmunks really pulling a lot of weight there. <laughs> they were. They did pull a lot of weight. Yeah. And the rest of the spots, those songs like we talked about, were just kind of cobbled together haphazardly. Or you know, there were, were uh, there was a lot of talking and skit sections that mm, just kind of didn't get it done for me. So fifty-four on music lyrics. When they're funny, they're pretty good. There were just a handful of songs, handful of tracks here, skits and and what have you that. Just just, again, felt a little forced. Some of them weren't necessarily the funniest things in the world. Uh, but 52 on the lyrics. Instruments and production. I tried to I tried to be a little nicer to this album. You know, it's the holiday season. Trying to appease me so I don't punish you the rest of the year? <laughs> Maybe. Instruments and production. I did think, you know, there's a good variety of instruments on this album. As a Christmas album, you get a wider range of things you can play around with, like Jingle Bells. For Crying Out Loud, they did Chipmunks. That's a high production score just on its own. I'm giving Instruments of Production a 60. Wow! I think there's some some variety in here and some nifty little things that you just don't see a lot. Uh, as for Vibe, to sit down and listen to this album in one sitting as a complete unit is long. <laughs> it's an arduous process, and I won't deny that. Individually, each track could maybe pull a little higher. If I were to make the greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time, I would include some of these songs. But honestly, I think this Christmas CD could be in improved just by making some cuts it's just long i'm giving the vibe a 62 i will say this is a better album to just have on in the background <laughs> yep so its final score is a 55.6 all said and done okay where would that put it on the ranking list this would currently be number 590 out of 598 wow not bottom there are things no. worse than this <laughs> you were shooting for top 100 and you managed to crack the bottom 10 bravo i'll be honest with you i was shooting for worse one with this pick oh no <laughs> i love it i just knew you were not gonna like this album and i'm so glad that i was able to force you to do it well for those of you uh Longtime podcast fans keeping track, that score of 55.6 is a mere two points below 30 Seconds to Mars America. So it is the worst one we've scored we've had on the podcast. It is. It okay. Is. All right. I'll take that as a, that, that's a good consolation prize. If I had to pick a top three, you, you've already named my top three. Yeah. It's definitely going to include the Chipmunk song. It's definitely going to include Christmas at Ground Zero. Oh. I'm torn. I've never really been a huge fan of Hippopotamus for Christmas. Wow. The fact that she sang it and then got a lifetime supply of hippopotamuses, hippopotamuses. <laughs> really 
does improve its standing in my eyes. <laughs> but as I listen to the album, I guess it'd have to go to Grandma Got Run Over by Reindeer. And I'm actually one that you've introduced me to. I'm going to get the little Jamesable mention to. I really enjoyed The 12 Days of Christmas by Bob and Doug McKenzie. And a beer. <laughs> I'm still exchanging the Japanese transistor radio, but I'll take that beer in a tree, I guess. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I enjoyed that one. I think my top three. Yeah, this is one that you last week wanted to take more, but you had to be sure that you had all your top threes for this. Yeah. So make good use of them, I guess. Yeah. You you robbed lights of quality picks, or you would have if I wasn't so generous. <laughs> Sucker. It's the Chipmunk song. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Nothing for Christmas. And probably Christmas at Ground Zero. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's me. That's you. Um, This baffles me. I don't know what you're going <laughs> to score this because... Oh, come on now. You know what I'm scoring this. I know you don't like to bring albums that are not nines. It's getting a nine. Come on now. <laughs> Does it really deserve a nine? It deserves a nine. Can I talk you down to an eight? You really can't. Come on. Uh, but I, I will say, it's going to go at the bottom of my nines. <laughs> okay, well, that is a little consolation for me and Tina Turner alike. And as for a unit, I think this one would get nine demented laughs at James's suffering out of ten. That's a really long and specific <laughs> and hurtful unit. <laughs> yeah. I said this was my year of redemption and retribution and revenge, and I think there was no better way to start it off than with a demented album by a demented radio show host. Justice was served. Ah, justice has only begun. We got a whole year of this. Mm, look at that. Suddenly. Suddenly, Connor gets no more picks for the rest of the year. <laughs> suddenly, I've realized you're all out of picks. <laughs> but until then, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, follow us on the social medias. I think we've already called them out. At SpinitPod on Twitter. At SpinitPod Official on Instagram. Our website, www.spinitpod.com. We got blooper reels. We've got extended B-side cuts of some of our best episodes. Not this one. Not the... Well, hey, now. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> the Mixtaper. He's got a Twitter. At the underscore Mixtaper. You got it. Nailed it. First try. Is there anything else I'm supposed to do in this part? No. Next week's Spencer Wonderland episode is another bracket challenge, but... They're holiday songs from all the artists, not all the artists, but from several of the artists that we've done episodes on. Yeah. They're covers of holiday songs, their own originals. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a great list, and I'm excited to see how they stack up and compete against each other. I'm excited, too. We're calling it Spin It Naughty or Nice. So come find out who's naughty and who's nice. But with that all said, I think there's only one thing left to say, and that's... Happy holidays and keep spinning. Keep spinning. What's, you got to come up with the outro banter this time since I, since I hosted the episode. Is that the rule? Because usually when I host the episode, your outro banner goes, hey. <laughs> hey. Yeah, like that. So <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? You never answered the question. Oh, yeah, you're right. I never did. I want more spinning artwork. I want that framed. I want that printed on a canvas and hung up on my wall. <laughs> well, that could be arranged. 